On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Patriots and their minicamp, which has just wrapped up. So I'll give you kind of a recap on the last couple weeks of minicamp. I'll talk about Stephon Gilmore and his absence from minicamp. I'll also get to some notes from around the NFL. We'll also get to the Red Sox, talk about their uh, slew of comeback wins and walk-off wins. So I'll talk a bit about that. We'll talk about the rotation coming back to earth a little bit. Uh, We'll get into um, some all-star game ballots, which came out earlier in the week. So we will take a look at that, take a look around baseball. Uh, We will also get to the NBA, update you guys on the Celtics coaching search. And Jason Tatum might be going to the Olympics. So we'll get into that, take a look at some award winners and the all NBA conversation. And we'll also update you guys on the NBA playoffs, a couple of wild games last night. Uh, we will then get into the NHL, continue our conversation about the Bruins offseason. They did sign someone, so we'll we'll get into that as well. I will also give you an update on the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then we will get into some WNBA and update you guys on the UEFA European Championships. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can follow. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow on Facebook. Um, and you can now find our uh, information on Garrett Hayden Sports Media, which is a blog website that I founded a few months ago. So you can go find that information um, on the site as well. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, also worth noting from Garrett Hayden Sports Media, wrote a new article yesterday about five free agents that the Bruins should re-sign. Uh, might get into more of that into detail later in today's episode, but uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, take a read to that. shouldn't be too long for you guys to take a peek at if you're interested shared it on uh, facebook twitter and on instagram so you can go find it there if you're interested in reading about the bruins and i'll be honest it was a little hard writing that um you know i think off season for the bruins came a lot sooner than a lot of us expected but you know get into more of that later in today's episode um, but we are going to lead with the patriots today so uh, obviously it's an interesting time of year because I think that in an ideal world we you know would have all thought that the Bruins and the Celtics would you know still be alive at this point and you know we wouldn't be talking about football in in May and June uh, but here we are uh, the Patriots wrapped up uh, mandatory minicamp yesterday so 
I figure, you know, we'll start there, talk about camp and, you know, figure what really, you know, happens next before the team uh, reports to, you know, official training camp in uh, just over a month. So um, I think first of all, first off, um, it makes sense to start with Stefan Gilmore. So um, obviously he was not present at um, the mandatory minicamp, which was a couple days this week. I think it was all this week. Um, so, you know, obviously it's a little bit of a concern, uh, pretty obvious that it is a, you know, contract dispute. And that was, um, I think confirmed by a number of sources that, you know, it is contract related and, you know, it is obvious that, uh, Stefan Gilmore is in the last year of his contract, uh, base salary of 7 million, I think can make up to like, I think it's something like 16, which is a certain percentage of the cap. I can't remember what the percentage is, but you, you know, have a guy who's been your, you know, star defensive player for the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, clearly can still play at a high level, you know, was the defensive player of the year in 2019. It's either 2019 or 2018, but um, obviously has been a big time player for the Patriots and um, clearly, you know, wants a new contract, wants the, the reward for being, you know, a big time defensive player. And yes, you know, had an injury, missed some time last year, but still is very good, still is very, very solid. So, you know, I think from a performance perspective, the Patriots should want to bring him back because it is true the Patriots have had very good secondaries in the last couple of years, but, you know, he's really been the big reason why. You know, you have some players that have been pretty solid, you know, at that position in the last couple of years, you know, and you think about guys like, uh, JC Jackson. Um, and now you brought in Jalen Mills, you got Jonathan Jones. Um, but I think that clearly when you look at Stefan Gilmore, he's a guy that, you know, is their top, you know, outside cornerback. But, you know, if you take him out of the equation, the Patriots get a little bit thin, you know, JC Jackson was excellent last year. Um, but then obviously it becomes even more pressure if a guy like Gilmore is out. So, you know, I think that from a performance perspective, the Patriots should want him back. But, you know, it's 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 challenging because this is typically a scenario in which you see the Patriots, you know, let go of some of their talented players because either they think that the player is slowing down or they don't want to deal with the distraction of a player being a holdout. So it's kind of a tricky situation. You know, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think the Patriots should pay him. Um, you know, I think that there should be a little bit of a level of concern because Gilmore is getting up there in age. You know, he did have a pretty significant injury at the end of the, at the end of this past season. Um, so, you know, I get where the Patriots are coming from. I get where Stefan is coming from. You know, he's a guy that doesn't want to play under the uncertainty of a one-year deal. You know, I don't really think I need to sit here and explain to people why players don't want to play under a one-year contract or, you know, would like the security of having a new contract before they finish their current one. You know, I think that that's pretty easy to understand. 
Um, so I think, you know, from his perspective, he feels like he's due a little bit of loyalty from a team that, you know, he's given a lot to, you know, was the best defensive player in football two years ago, you know, and he feels like he deserves a new deal. And it's like, I think the Patriots should give it to him because they think, you know, not only is he still a big time player, but you also don't really have a lot of depth at that cornerback position. So um, I think that it will be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. I'll be honest. I think that it's fair to have a concern about him missing mandatory mini camps in June. But to me, I'm not going to start to worry until he, you know, is holding out from training camp because I think that's a whole different thing. You know, I think that that can become a little bit of a problem and that can become a little bit of a distraction, you know, if you have someone holding out at that point in time. So, you know, it is concerning, but it's not like he's absent from mini camp, from uh, training camp. I think that would be a little bit more of a concern for me and some other people. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting situation, you know, pay attention to it. You know, I think that there are plenty of scenarios that could happen. You know, the Patriots could trade him and they could try to see if they could get, you know, a first or second round pick because I still think they could, um, you know, or they um, sign him, you know, and they give him a new deal. They give him maybe two or three years, something like that. I can't see them giving him more than like a three-year deal. I really can't see that, um, you know, or he just says, you know, whatever, I'll play under the one-year deal. You know, I feel like that's not really going to happen. I feel like there's a very tiny chance that that actually happens, but um, I guess it's possible. So, you know, as far as other training camp things, you know, we'll get into some more stuff. Um, but I think the key one, and arguably, you know, maybe it's the most important one, is the quarterback. Um, it was pretty obvious that yesterday, the last day for um, – Cam Newton, final session, um, did really well. So yesterday, you know, was the final session. It seems like Cam Newton had a really strong day. You know, I think that it was interesting. So it seemed like Cam at times had a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of, little bit of a challenge, you know, obviously had that hand injury not too long ago. Um, you know, seemingly was fine after that, you know, had a couple of, you know, I think okay days, but it really seemed like he was strong yesterday. And um, it is interesting because Mac Jones, I think, at first, you know, looked really good. And I think had some people thinking, oh, okay, he's really going to push Cam Newton for the job. But, you know, didn't have some great days, you know, probably had his toughest day yesterday. Um, but again, I mean, it's not anything to get super excited or down about. You know, I think that good. It's good that Cam Newton had, you know, a good day to finish off OTAs. You know, it's good that Mac Jones had a, had a strong start. You know, I don't think it's a lot to read into because it's just, you know, OTAs, you know, it's not like it's training camp or, or even preseason. So I think, you know, it is interesting, the quarterback room, you know, I think that um, it's good to have a guy like Brian Hoyer back, um, you know, I think I said this when they signed him. I think it makes sense for them to, you know, bring in a quarterback that knows the system, knows the team, has been around the team for plenty of, for a very long time, you know, and can be someone that someone like Mac Jones can, 
develop under, you know? And I think, you know, you also have a guy in Stidham who has been around for a few years too. Um, you know, I did find it very interesting that, you know, Jared had some comments. I can't remember which day it was, but he said something like, you know, his goal is to be the starting quarterback. Now, obviously, that's probably not going to happen. Probably won't happen, you know, unless something goes, you know, horribly wrong. Um, but I like, I like the fire. You know, I like the, I like the competitiveness that, you know, I might be behind some guys, but I'm going to, you know, make the most of the opportunity. And I think that, you know, having, having someone with an attitude like that is great. You know, I think he could easily just say, oh, you know, I'm not expecting to be the quarterback, but, you know, or not expecting to be the starting quarterback. But I think just having the attitude that I'm going to go out and compete, I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear. Um, so I think that, you know, it's not anything really new in terms of the quarterback battle. You know, I think that Cam Newton will and will always be the starter, you know, unless something goes terribly wrong. You know, unless he plays very, very poorly in camp um, or, you know, suffers an injury. You know, I really think that that's the only way that Mac Jones becomes the starting quarterback week one. I think really unless it's obvious that, you know, he needs to be the starting quarterback, Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback. Um, Very curious to see what Mac Jones looks like in preseason. You know, curious to see what Jared Stidham looks like. Um, with the Patriots playing three preseason games, I'm curious which game it is that they're going to have Cam Newton play, you know, a good amount of, because usually there's one preseason game that the starters play either, either the whole game or most, most of the game. So very curious to see what happens, but I think, you know, it's, it's nothing really new. It's nothing really out of the ordinary. You know, it was good to see that Mac Jones had some good days. It's good to see that there are a lot of guys that really like having him around. You know, it's great to hear Cam Newton saying some positive things about him that, you know, sure, they're competing for the same job. But there's no reason that they can't be, you know, friendly with each other and want each other to succeed. And I think that, unfortunately, there's probably going to be a lot of media that's going to try to drive a wedge between the two of them. Um, you know, I'm not really going to go into details, but you can probably guess, you know, how, how that's going to be framed. But I think... You have two guys that, you know, are going to push each other. And I think it's going to make it's going to make training camp all that more competitive, which I think is exactly what this team needs. They need to have the idea that we're going to be competitive. We're going to be a team that's going to challenge for the AFC East. And I seriously think they can. I don't think that that's out of the question. Um, so, you know, in terms of just some other things, I think that um, Johnny Smith is going to be really interesting to see. Um, in the first session, he did tweak his hamstring, which, uh, is a little bit, is, is a little bit concerning. Um, but I think that he's a guy that he's not someone to me that I think needs a lot of practice time that I think, you know, what you're going to get from him, you know, what you're going to get from Hunter Henry. Um, but I think his versatility especially is going to be very interesting. You know, I think that, um, one of my friends showed me a, Instagram picture where he is like standing with the running backs, you know, going through some running back drills. So, you know, that tells me that the Patriots might be trying to use him out of the backfield, potentially trying to use him 
in a variety of different ways. They use him out wide. Do they use him on the line of scrimmage? You know, do they use him in the backfield? Do they, you know, throw out some gadget plays? You know, I hope that, you know, when I say gadget plays, you know, I say that, you know, very like once or twice, once or twice a season that you pull off something crazy. Um, But I think that really you have Johnny Smith who can really be put anywhere on the field. Then you have Hunter Henry, who's a guy that is, you know, kind of your traditional tight end down the middle. Um, So, you know, I think that it's going to be an exciting season for the tight ends. You know, and I also think that there are some receivers that had good camps and good off seasons. You know, I think Nikhil Harry is a guy that, you know, should start feeling a little bit excited about because it seems like, you know, he's a guy that's had a good offseason, I think really could benefit from having a bit of a quarterback. I don't want to say quarterback competition because I think that there's some there's some um, connotations to that that sometimes can be negative. Um, but I think that, you know, having Mac Jones and Cam Newton really trying to push each other, you know, it might actually be a good thing for Nikhil Harry. So um, I'm excited to see what the offense can do. And, you know, obviously... We know the defense is really stacked, so um, it's going to be a really interesting training camp. I think it's going to be an exciting one because you have a lot of really talented players, and I think, honestly, there are going to be possibly some talented players that don't make the roster, you know, at the end of the day, that don't make the 53-man roster, which, you know, tells me that training camp is going to be really competitive, and you're going to have guys that are really going to go all out, which I think is going to be awesome. Um, for for this team. Um, And I think especially when you look at what happened last season, there's a lot of guys that definitely have a chip on their shoulder based on how last season went. Cam Newton's definitely one of them. Um, But it's good to see that, you know, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, you know, have both said that Cam has a better grasp of the offense. And I think you really could see a much better Cam Newton this season than you saw at stretches last year. Um, So I think... You know, for Patriots, that probably does it. Um, Kind of just go through some NFL news. It's just announced today that Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes will be uh, both on the cover of Madden 22. Um, Yeah, going into video games a little bit here. I know that's a little bit out of the realm, but I think, you know, it's it's good to see the two of them on the cover. But, geez, Madden is just not the same. It's just, I don't know. It's just not the same. You know, I don't get excited about Madden like I did back in the day. You know, I just feel like, I don't know, there's not really a lot to be excited about because it's basically just kind of the same game. Now, again, I haven't played, like I've played Madden. I can't remember the last time I played Madden, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, you know, good for them. I think it'll be interesting. Um, You know, yeah, Madden Curse isn't really a thing anymore, you know, knock on wood. But, um, you know, I think... Still not really a lot of news on, on the Aaron Rodgers front. Um, you know, that's something that I think you keep your eye on a little bit. Um, you know, I think also, for those of you that like uh, HBO's Hard Knocks, uh, trying to think of some teams that might be interesting to be there. Um, I think the Titans would be an interesting team, obviously just bringing in uh, Julio Jones a couple weeks ago. Um, they become a team that's going to be really, really interesting to follow. Um so I think that that probably, that probably does it for talking about the Patriots. 
um, and the NFL. We will move on. We will talk about some baseball, talk about the Sox and uh, those comebacks, those comeback Sox, those uh, cardiac Sox, whatever you want to call them. A couple of walk-offs in the last few weeks and a couple of come-from-behind wins in Atlanta. Red Sox sweep the two games set in Atlanta. Both win both games 10-8. to A couple of games in which the Red Sox came from behind to win. Um, so super exciting for the Sox in Atlanta. Um, obviously, you had Verdugo, the go-ahead home run on Tuesday night, and then Arroyo, the go-ahead grand slam last night. Red Sox win both games 10-8. to eight. Uh, Did not really get especially good starting pitching from Eduardo Rodriguez or Garrett Richards. Kind of um, two fairly rough starts. You know, Richards gave up six runs last night. Hit a couple of batters. Really did not look like he had the command of a lot of his pitches. Um, so, you know, but good on the Red Sox. Good on that offense to come up with some big-time hits. You know, you have some guys that are continuing to hit, guys that you wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, Christian Arroyo is really starting to make a name for himself um, over the last few weeks. Um, And Alex Verdugo is really starting to get comfortable. I know we talked about this maybe a week or so ago, but he's starting to get really comfortable. And, you know, I'll be honest, with this team winning some come-from-behind games, you know, I think they actually lead Major League Baseball and come-from-behind wins. It's starting to feel like this team might might be pretty special. Um, you know, obviously some concerns after um, losing a bunch of those games to the Astros, but then, you know, getting a three-game sweep against the Yankees. Um, and, you know, they've won their last three after, you know, a really two really rough losses to Toronto. But the Red Sox, you know, were able to split that series thanks to a couple of walk-off wins. Uh, Verdugo and Devers with the walk-off hits. Um, in that series, and then obviously Verdugo, the home run on Tuesday night, and then uh, Arroyo last night. So it's really starting to feel like this team's special, you know, and this is a team that, similar to 2013, in my opinion, you know, is a team that comes in without much expectation, you know, year after having a very bad season. I can't remember where they were in 2012, but um, in terms of in the state, where they were in the standings, but, you know, two teams with really no expectation coming into the season to make a couple of small, you know, free agent moves that are really starting to work out and you're getting quality starting pitching. Now I know that that's not necessarily been the case over the last couple of weeks. The Red Sox starting pitching has kind of come back down to earth, but there's something in this team that just, there's no quit. You know, there's no, there's no panic when the team goes down, you know, late in games and the Red Sox obviously proved that with a couple of wins against a very talented Atlanta team. Now, I know Atlanta is not really necessarily the same team as they were last year. They seem to be, you know, struggling a little bit. They're five games under 500, but still, you know, it's an incredibly talented team. The Red Sox win some road games, and, you know, 22-10 and 10 on the road ain't too shabby. So, um, you know, the Red Sox really, I think, starting to become a team that should, you know, be making some noise, making some people nervous that, okay, you know, this team is, this team very well might be legit. Um, so I think, you know, that it's, it's good stuff. The Red Sox got an off day before they have a three game set um, in Kansas City. I don't believe Benintendi will be playing. He has an injury, um, but it's really been great to see the Red Sox over the last, 
uh, week or so, getting a couple of walk-off wins, a couple of come-from-behind wins. Um, and, you know, it's... I think people are starting to take notice. You know, you have this team, 42-27, and 27, you know, approaching the halfway mark of the season. And, you know, the Red Sox could be on pace for about 90 wins, maybe more. Um, so it's it's exciting. You know, it's, I think, you know, talking to Eric Bellier when we did the baseball preview at the beginning of the season, you know, I thought that, okay, you know, maybe this team could surprise some people, but that's, you know, the absolute best case scenario. I mean, I think sitting at 15 games over 500, 69 games into the season, I don't think I ever thought that they would be this good. I didn't think they'd be 15 games over 500 this early in the season, um, you know, middle of June, you know, approaching the all-star break and the Red Sox are a game out of first place. So um, it's really been an exciting season so far, you know, and obviously the pitching has come back down to earth a little bit. You know, I think the Red Sox are hoping they can get Chris Sale back soon. Um, and I think, you know, it, based on the way that they've played, it probably does change the way that they approach the trade deadline. You know, I think that we talked about this last week. You know, I think that they could, you know, look at bringing in another starting pitcher because I think you're going to need that at some point um, because you've been very lucky. You know, I think that you've avoided really any injuries to your starting staff. Um, but I think that at some point it's going to come up. You're not going to be able to get through the season without at least one or two, you know, couple injuries in your starting rotation. So be very interesting to see how they approach the deadline you know, who becomes available, you know, it's, it's crazy because it seems like it's a long way off, but it's really not, you know, it's the end of the end of July, you know, you really have about a month and a half before it comes up. Um, so speaking of the rotation, Red Sox starting rotation is come back down to earth a little bit. They've had a really tough time as of late, uh, especially Eduardo Rodriguez as he's continued to have, he's continued to struggle over the last couple of weeks. And it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's a little concerning, but I think it's solid. The Red Sox are getting good starting pitching from uh, Evaldi, you know, who pitched, uh, nearly pitched a one nothing win in that last game against the Blue Jays. Blue Jays tied it in the ninth inning, and then the Red Sox won it in the bottom half, but you know, Evaldi is a guy who I think quietly has been really good for the Sox. You know, I think that he's another guy, though, that, you know, concerns me because he has had some injury history, you know, and isn't always known as a guy that can, you know, give you consistent innings. But I think that he's been, you know, their best pitcher. I think Pavetta's had some struggles recently, but, you know, he's been a pleasant surprise. You know, and I think that as much as people talk about Richards a lot, you know, I think that he's not been half bad. You know, sure, sure, he's had a number of starts, including last night, where he has really struggled. But I think, you know, really ever since those first couple starts, he's really kind of found his groove. Um, you know, obviously did not have much control last night, but I think that it's, you know, something to something to keep an eye on. Um, with the rotation, you know, I don't really think it's anything other than just, it's a long season, you know, your starting rotation is not always going to be really good, you know, you're going to go through some stretches where you're good and not so good, and that even happens for, 
the best rotations in baseball. I think the Red Sox are hardly the best rotation in baseball. Um, but, you know, it happens. You know, you'll go through stretches where the offense can't pick you up. You go through stretches where the offense is, you know, getting timely hits left and right. It certainly felt like that the last two nights. Um, but I think that you look at what this team can do, it's seeming like different different parts of the team can struggle, but the other part can pick them up. You know, and I think that that's really a sign of teams that are really good and really special and teams that can, you know, go deep in the postseason, you know, assuming the Red Sox can get there. Um, so, you know, I have faith the starting rotation will, you know, figure it out at some point, but, you know, it is a little concerning, you know, and I think that um, there are some people that wanted to make the, um, wanted to make the connection that the Red Sox are struggling uh, because they're using the, you know, all the, you know, uh, sunscreen and, you know, spider tech or whatever you want to say. And, you know, now they're not using it because the umpires are cracking down. You know, I don't really think I buy that very much because the spin rate for the Red Sox is, you know, not really changed. And that's something that I guess can really be affected if you're using, you know, the illegal or foreign substances, uh, which MLB came out the other day that they're, um, going to be handing out like 10, 10 game suspensions for, um, any pitchers who violate the, the rules. And I also heard that, uh, there could be some potential, I, I don't think it was position players. Maybe I heard that wrong. Um, but it is, you know, pitchers that violate the rules can get a 10 game suspension. And I think that there are some pitchers that have come out and have said that this is kind of, um, you know, not exactly fair. Cause I guess the Players Association and the players, you know, had no say in this, that this just came right down from Major League Baseball, you know, so it might be a good topic to talk with, with Eric Bellier about at some point, um, but it is interesting, you know, baseball is pretty serious about this crackdown, um, but I think, you know, pitchers do have a point that you do need, you know, some, you, you do need something to be able to help you grip the balls better you know, not to the point where it's making it in unfair advantage, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I think that baseball could have handled this a little bit better. Um, I'm not really sure how exactly, but I think that, you know, first just talking with the players and the players union, it seems a little bit like, you know, there's no trust, you know, and it's, you know, kind of a, kind of an iffy thing, you know, with the collective bargaining agreement, I think expiring at the end of the season, um, at some point. So I think that, you know, it could create a little bit of a problem later down the road, but, you know, I don't buy into any of that, that the, you know, Red Sox were cheating, you know, and now they, you know, it's just, I don't know. I think it's just natural because of, you know, Cora and the whole Astros thing. I really don't want to get into that today, but, um, you know, I think it's just one of those things, the rotation just struggling because they're struggling but the good thing is the offense has been able to has been able to pick them up um so looking at the upcoming schedule for the red sox i uh, got a couple games obviously in atlanta that happened last night we are approaching um the all-star break we're not too far away um all-star break i think is about a month away it's probably a little bit less um, but the Red Sox do have an off day to travel. They will be traveling to Kansas City for a three-game set against the Royals. Uh, Nick Pavetta, 
Martin Perez and Nate Evaldi will go in that series. Then the Red Sox will travel down to Tampa Bay to play a three-game set, and then they will welcome the Yankees to Fenway Park on June, starting on June 25th. Um, so that will be that will be interesting. See how the Red Sox can do with the Yankees at Fenway. Um, also makes sense to take a look at All-Star balloting. Um, as the first update came in a couple of days ago, uh, the phase one of the fan voting um, goes until the 24th, so you still have about a week to vote. Um, so how it works is the phase one works that the top three vote-getters at each position plus the top nine outfielders in each league will advance to the second phase of voting, which will determine the starters. So basically it's just, you know, you nail down who kind of the favorites are and then go from there. So um, the final phase one results will come in. Uh, well, that doesn't really matter. You don't really need to know that. Uh, but you do have until June 24th to to vote. And then I think it's 9 p.m. on July 1st. I'll announce the starters. So uh, getting through all that, the Red Sox have a couple of guys who are um, you know, seemingly in the in the conversation to be starters um, in the All-Star game. But first, we'll take a look at some other positions. At first base in the American League, you have Vlad Guerrero Jr., who is, uh, you know, probably will be the starter as over 51% of votes right now. So it seems like he will definitely be the starter if you'll think about, if you, you know, look at that, because it's pretty ridiculous, um, the advantage that he already has. Um, and then the other two are Jose Abreu from the White Sox and Yuli Gurriel from Houston. And then in the National League, you have Max Muncy, Freddie Freeman, and Anthony Rizzo, which, who are currently the top three. Um, but this is really just kind of the first update, so it's definitely bound to change. Max Muncy, 23%, Freddie Freeman, 16 and then Anthony Rizzo, 12 um, At second base in the American League, Marcus Simeon, Jose Altuve and DJ, DJ LeMahieu are the top three at the moment in the National League. You have Ozzy Alves, Adam Frazier, and Gavin Lux for the Dodgers. Those three are the um, leaders right now in the American League at third base. You got Rafael Devers, who's uh, continuing to just have a ridiculous season for the Sox. Um, he is currently in first place and third place voting. Uh, Moncada and Alex Bregman, second and third. And then for the National League, you got Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Justin Turner. At shortstop in the American League, you got Bogarts on top there. So the Red Sox seemingly have two guys that are in position to be starters already uh, with Devers and Bogarts. Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson are the other two leaders at shortstop. In the National League, it's Tatis, uh, Javier Baez, Javi Baez, and uh, Corey Seager. Uh, Tatis has a big advantage there, 40% as at the moment. Um, and then in the outfield, so it's the top nine in the outfield. So at the moment, you have Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Byron Buxton, Adolis Garcia from Texas, Teoscar Hernandez, and Randall Grychuk from Toronto. Alex Verdugo is currently in seventh at the moment, followed by Randy Rosarena and Michael Brantley, eight and nine. So... Uh, some good stuff for the Red Sox. Um, and then in the National League, Acuna Jr., Cast Castellanos, 
Jesse Winker, who's had a really unbelievable season for Cincinnati. Uh, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, Chris Taylor, Bryce Harper, Trent Grisham, and Ketel Marte from Arizona. Um, And then catcher Salvador Perez, Grandal from the White Sox, Maldonado from Houston, that's in the American League. Uh, Christian Vasquez currently in fourth place for American League catchers, so possibility that he maybe makes up a little bit of ground in the next couple weeks. And then in the National League, it's Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, and Wilson Contreras. Um, And then in the American League, designated hitter, the last spot that could have a Red Sox player, J.D. Martinez, is uh, currently behind Shohei Otani for first place um, at the designated hitter. And then Jordan Alvarez is third. So um, I think Martinez should be a guy that makes the All-Star team. But, you know, Otani has also been probably the most exciting player in baseball. So, um, you know, kudos to him. I think that, you know, he's a guy that absolutely needs to be at the All-Star game. I mean, there's no reason that he wouldn't be. Um, But I think, you know, All-Star game is about... I think having the fans wanting to see the players that they most want to see, and you know, Otani's a guy that you really want to see. So uh, there's just an update for the All-Star ballot, really just kind of the preliminary numbers uh, for Phase 1. So Phase 1 concludes in a week, so you have a week to uh, vote in some guys who will advance to the next phase of voting, if you will. So taking a look around Major League Baseball, um, you know, there are a number of pitchers that have uh, expressed some frustration with uh, the MLB's crackdown. You know, Garrett Cole, uh, Rich Hill, Tyler Glass now, I think all three of them, you know, were kind of not really happy with this. And, you know, Rich Hill had said that the Players Association, you know, dropped the ball here. So, uh, you know, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. You know, I think that it'll become news when the first person gets suspended, Um because undoubtedly that's going to happen. There's no way that doesn't happen. Um, so we'll take a look at the standings at the moment in Major League Baseball. Uh, as we mentioned, the Red Sox are a game back of first place in the East. Tampa Bay still hanging on to first place. Um, but the Red Sox, you know, really good on the road. You know, solid enough at home. You know, I think that three games over 500 isn't great, but I think that it's solid. So three straight wins for the Red Sox. They'll look to make it four when they start a three-game set in Kansas City. The Yankees are uh, seven games back of first, six games back of the Red Sox. So they're pretty far behind at the moment. And then in the Central, in the Central, the White Sox have built a pretty good lead over Cleveland um, as they are four and a half games in front of them, 43 and 25. For the White Sox, 27 and 12 at home, a hunt plus a one a plus 107 run differential, which is uh, by far the best in the league. So they've had a really, really strong start to the season there. Red Sox will take on the Royals, who have lost nine of their last 10 and have lost their last six straight. So uh, maybe the Red Sox can do a little bit of beating up on Kansas City this weekend. In the West, you have Oakland, a two-and-a-half game lead over Houston for first place in the West. The uh, Athletics have won six straight. Astros have won three straight, so you have a couple teams there that uh, could make things interesting. A couple of teams that might be interested in adding some pieces at the deadline. Um, the National League, Eric Bellier will be happy to know. Well, I'm sure he knows already. The Mets are in uh, first place in the NL East, five games in front of second place Philly at 35 and 25. The Mets have won three straight, eight out of 10. 
you know, unbelievably, the Mets 26 home games and have won 20. So they have been really special at home. Not so much away. They're 15 and 19 away from home, but uh, no other team in the NL East has a winning record away from home. So uh, Mets in first there. In the Central, Central's been getting very interesting. Uh, the Brewers and the Cubs are tied for first, but you have the Cincinnati Reds who have been red hot, six straight wins, eight of their last 10. They're two games back, and then the Cardinals are three games back. They've won three straight, but uh, NL Central, really a very interesting division this year. Uh, but the Brewers and Cubs, very good. And then the Reds, you know, coming up with six straight wins. So that will be an interesting division to watch. And then speaking of interesting divisions, you got the NL West, the Giants, still in first place, two games up on the Dodgers, six games up on the Padres, who have slid a little bit as they've lost their last three, and they have only won two games of their last ten. So I think both NL Central, NL West, you know, two divisions that could get pretty interesting. The Red Sox seemingly have built, you know, a pretty good a pretty good cushion in second place. You know, I think that there was some concern, especially after the Blue Jays series. Um, but the Blue Jays have lost, you know, three in a row. They're eight and a half back of first. And then you have the Yankees, seven back of first. So the Red Sox really in good shape at the moment, um, despite not being in the first place. You know, they're right there with Tampa Bay, just one game out. So I think that that probably does it for baseball. Move on to the NBA. And yeah. There's a lot of news in the association at the moment. You have injury news, you have coaching news, you have All-NBA and awards, you have some crazy games last night. I, I really, I honestly do not know where to start. You have so much stuff going on, but um, I figure we start with the Celtics. Not a lot of new stuff with the head coaching search. You know, obviously you had a couple coaches that got fired. Uh, Stan Van Gundy getting fired from the Pelicans, Scott Brooks from the Wizards, which, you know, it's 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 interesting because they thought, I honestly thought that Van Gundy was going to be a solid fit in New Orleans. You know, I'm not really sure exactly what went wrong there. Um, you know, I think that the Pelicans, it's important for them to keep Zion happy. Um but I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure what went wrong there. Might be some people inside the organization, or um, that I should say, reporters that cover the team that might know better. Um, but yeah, kind of a disappointing year for the Pelicans. I think that there was a lot of hope that maybe they'd get to the playoffs. So unfortunately, it didn't happen. And then for the Wizards, not totally surprised that Scott Brooks gets fired. Um, so I think, you know, if you look at those two guys, I don't think either of them are, are good fits with the Celtics. You know, I think that the Celtics are pretty, I think, pretty looking for a certain type of coach. You know, I'm not sure that Van Gundy and, and Brooks really fit the profile. You know, I think based on what, you know, I understand, it's a, you know, coach who has played in the league fairly recently, um, someone who, you know, is a good person that can relate to other players. And I also think I've heard that it's important to the Celtics that they hire an African-American coach. Um, and now I don't know if that's a founded report or not, but I think I would agree with that. You know, I think that that would be a smart choice for the Celtics. You know, I think already there's 
there's not enough black head coaches in the NBA, you know, and I think that when you look at the majority of players in the NBA, they are black. And I think that, you know, it makes sense to hire a coach that can relate to players. And um, I think that for the Celtics to hire, hire an African-American coach, I think would be great because I think that it's some, and not that trying to be careful with what I say here, but I think like there's something about guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that I think they want to play for a coach that, you know, they can relate to easier and not to say that, Oh, they can't relate to Brad Stevens because he's white. But I think that it might be more of a, you relate to someone who looks like you, you relate to someone who has been in the league and knows what it's like to go through the battles um, in the NBA, you know, whether it's hiring someone like Chauncey Billups or, or Sam Cassell or, uh, Darvin Ham from the Milwaukee Bucks, or um, Ime Udoka, who is an assistant coach for the Nets. You know, someone who has played in the NBA fairly recently. You know, someone that can be a good, a, a coach that can be relatable. And I think that that's the biggest thing for the Celtics. And I think that, you know, you might find that if the Celtics just hire the right coach, that it might just be all they need. You know, and I think that Again, this goes back to Brad Stevens knowing his team and knowing his players really well that he might actually be more qualified than you think to be, you know, the president of basketball operations, that he can be someone who can find the right coach for this Celtics team. Um, So, you know, nothing new in the coaching search for the Celtics. You know, it is worth noting that I think they've finished interviewing their assistant coaches um, and are kind of moving forward into kind of the middle stages Um, But I still think that there are some coaches still left that I think the Celtics would be interested in or the coach would be interested in the Celtics. You know, I think Nate McMillan's one of those coaches, despite, you know, doing a really tremendous job with the Hawks. Uh, We'll get to the Hawks in a moment. But, you know, I think that I I have confidence the Celtics can hire the right guy. Um, And then just some other Celtics news, Jason Tatum pretty sure he'll he'll be going to the olympics you know i don't know if that's totally official but that's at least uh what some reports are saying so i think it'll be great great experience for jason you know i think that um obviously you think about the olympics maybe there's some concern about going but i think that if you're jason tatum you'd never want to turn down or i shouldn't say it like that but like i think you never know when you'd be able to go to the Olympics, and I think any chance you can get, you take it. You know, it's really a, a tremendous experience. So I think, you know, I look forward to watching him in the Olympics, you know, and seeing what he can do. You know, there's some rumors that Bradley Beal might be joining him. I think that Damian Lillard and Draymond Green are going as well. So those are at least some players that we know that are going. Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of you know, big name players don't go, but I think that it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for Jason. And I think that it's something that um, should excite a lot of people. Um, So I think initially I was going to do NBA awards next, but I think based on the games last night, it's impossible to not talk about them. Um, So obviously big time games last night, you had the, Hawks coming back from 26 points down uh, to beat the Sixers. They're down 25 
late in the third quarter, and they come back to win just a colossal breakdown, meltdown by the Sixers last night um, at home, you know, really dominating that game through pretty much all phases. You know, it really was one of those games where Atlanta just couldn't do anything right. Um, And the Sixers, you know, up 26 at the end of the first half, up 25 late in the third quarter, um, and they just let the game slip away. You know, Atlanta kept chipping away. Lou Williams probably had his best game of the season. You know, if you paid attention to the Hawks, that was the best I've seen him play this season. You know, he was really the big reason why the Hawks were able to get back within striking distance. Then they got close enough. Trey Young able to knock down some big floaters. Um, and just, just a colossal loss for the Sixers. Um, you know, a team that I thought played well in the first four games, that it wasn't, you know, a big concern. But, I mean, you should be very concerned blowing a 20-plus point lead in the second half, um, you know, against a team that you should put away. You know, I understand that Atlanta is a good team. They have some good talent. You know, Trey Young's been one of the best players in the playoffs. I think that that's, you know, obvious. But you should be able to put that team away. So um, really not sure where the Sixers go from here because now they have to go back to Atlanta and the Hawks have a chance to win the series, which I think would be a colossal upset if they pull it off. Um, I didn't think that they had a chance if Embiid, like, wasn't even totally healthy, you know. But no, it's pretty obvious that he's healthy enough. You know, obviously he does have the slight tear in the meniscus, but he's healthy enough. You know, got 24 points in the first half. I don't know what uh, final numbers were on him. We can take a look at that quickly. Um, but just a tremendous win for the Hawks. Um, so Embiid, 37 points, 13 in the second half. Um, so the Hawks get the win, take a 3-2 series lead, and, um, you know, it's it's crazy. You know, I think that I felt like we were missing one of these games in the playoffs, that we were missing a colossal comeback game. Um, this was not the team I expected to pull that off uh, with the Hawks, but credit to them. Trey Young, 39 points. Um, you know, we are really seeing the maturation process of this young man, which has been a lot of fun to watch. But the biggest thing for the Hawks, 15 from Lou Williams, shot 7 of 11 from the floor last night. And the Hawks also got three threes from Gallinari. He had 16 points. Um, I cannot believe that the Hawks won this game without Kevin Herter scoring a point. Um, but, you know, solid game from Collins, 19 points, 11 rebounds, a couple of blocks. Um, you know, Bogdanovich had a really tough game at only six points. Uh, but the Hawks get it done, and, you know, I really don't know where the Sixers go from here. Um, you know, this is a game that they should have had. Uh, there's really no excuse for, for not having this game. You know, Seth Curry had a big game, but Tobias Harris, four points, shot two for 11. Um, didn't get really any production off the bench. Um, and the Sixers, you know, really on the ropes, really, you know, let this game get away and very well could have let their postseason get away. You know, if they can't, if they can't, they can't force, they can't force a game seven. Sorry about that. Um, so Hawks win, and then the Clippers, after getting the news that Kawhi Leonard most likely is going to be out for the rest of the series and probably the playoffs uh, with a potential ACL injury. I'm not sure, you know, the full extent of that, but obviously not ideal. But Paul George went off. 
37 points, 16 rebounds, 5 assists, and the Clippers take a 3-2 lead. So the Clippers taking a home game away from the Jazz last night. Atlanta also doing the same against the Sixers. Um, Big-time performance for the Clippers. Um, I just have to say, Reggie Jackson has been one of the unsung heroes for the Clippers this postseason um, and continued it with a huge game last night, knocked down a lot of threes. Um, The Clippers were able to withstand a barrage of threes from the Jazz. Um, You know, Bogdanovich was knocking down everything. You know, you had Jordan Clarkson, who, you know, it's just an automatic bucket off the bench, but the Clippers get a big win. Um, I have to say I'm very concerned about their title hopes. Um, I don't think they can win the title if Kawhi Leonard's not healthy. Um, You know, Paul George, great performance from him last night, but I don't think that's enough to win a championship, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, But credit to the Clippers going on the road after losing Kawhi. And, you know, really they could have laid down, but they played a really, really solid game on the road. Hostile environment. Utah's always a tough place to play. You know, and now they've put the pressure back on Utah, the number one seed, down three games to two and, you know, a game away from, you know, going home in a really disappointing way. So, you know, expect Utah to bounce back, but I honestly think the Clippers can win this series and I think that they can win a game six um, and take the series and go play the Suns. Um, So the Suns obviously able to get the sweep against the Nuggets. Uh, Jokic getting ejected at the end of that game four you know, was a little bit, was a little bit extreme. I think in my opinion, I think that you go back and look at that, that, you know, it's, it's a frustration foul. There's really no ill intent behind what he did, you know, makes contact with Cameron Payne. Now he made contact with Cameron Payne's face. I'm not going to say that, you know, campaign flopped. It definitely was a flagrant foul, a hundred percent, not an ejection though. You know, obviously there's the difference in the NBA where a flagrant one, you know, is, you know, excessive contact um, with a windup, you know, and things like that, which it was, but I don't think it was worthy of an ejection, you know, and so obviously took the air out of the the Nuggets in that series and they get swept. Um, And the Suns waiting for the winner of the Clippers and the Jazz. But, you know, unfortunately the other day, the news that Chris Paul is in the uh, COVID protocols. So really have no idea a timetable for his return. So, um, obviously, things are a little bit, a little bit strained, a little bit startling for the Suns, as they might be without Chris Paul for the start of the Western Conference Finals. So, you know, if you're the Suns, you're probably hoping that this Clippers-Jazz series goes to seven games, so you can get as many days off. So, you know, that'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens next. Um, and then, obviously, with the other series still going on, the uh, Bucks and the Nets game six is tonight. A legendary performance by Kevin Durant in Game 5. Brooklyn, you know, down pretty significantly in that first half, but Durant put on a performance for the ages. 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, you know, very much like that LeBron James performance um, in Game 6 against the Celtics a number of years ago, um, in which the Heat were facing elimination, and he probably played the best game of his career. You know, that's a game that some people could point at to be like that was the turning point in his career um, that uh, still was chasing a championship at that point um, and still, you know, had to do everything to beat that Celtics team. Um, so, you know, I think I think it was 2012. 
against the, the is when when he was playing with the Heat. So, you know, big performance by Durant. You know, the Bucks, I think, really got shell shocked at the end of that game, um, and really kind of didn't know what to do once they were faced with a late game situation. Um, you know, Brooklyn winning the game. I don't think James Harden should be playing. Um, it really seemed like he was a bit of a liability, especially in the first half. But, you know, whatever happened, he kind of turned it on, you know, gave the ball to Kevin Durant, and Durant just dominated. So, you know, I don't think the Bucks are incapable of winning a Game 6 at home. You know, obviously they won Games 3 and 4 after losing the first two games to Brooklyn, you know, getting blown out in that second game. Um, but I just think, like, there's something about games like that when you look at what Durant did that, you know, it just takes the air out of the other team, that they are just like, what what else can we do? So I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn finishes the series tonight. Um, you know, I think the Bucks might just be, you know, shocked by that game five. Um, but I think that the Bucks certainly can win a game six. Um, but I just, I don't see a scenario in which they can win this series. You know, especially with with Giannis, you're just not sure what you, what he's going to give you late in games. Um, but I think that you know, looking at Milwaukee, certainly capable of tying the series. But I just think Durant's been way too good. You know, obviously the injury to Kyrie complicates a lot of things for Brooklyn. I really thought that they were going to lose that game five. Um, you know, Irving most likely won't play the rest of the series. You know, it seems like a pretty serious ankle sprain. Um, that he had in game four. So be curious to see, you know, if the Nets do advance, what is his availability possibly going to look like for the Eastern Conference final, assuming they they make it there. Sorry, guys, a straw on the on the water was fighting me a little bit um but i think you know looking at what the bucks can do you know to to force a game seven you know i think that it's getting Giannis with as many easy buckets as you possibly can get him you know if that means um getting out in transition i know that that's what that's what coach budenholzer you know always is trying to do always trying to get out in transition um you know and maybe they start putting Giannis to guard Durant, but, you know, I don't know. Durant's someone where, like, he's an all-time great, and I think just his, one of those guys that good luck trying to defend him. You know, I think he's in one of those zones where you could put the greatest defensive player of all time on him, and he'd still be able to get buckets. He'd still be able to score 30 points on you. Um, so I don't really know if it's a difference in defending him. I think at this point, with great players... You just kind of have to let them do what they're going to do. You know, that you're better luck trying to contain other players like Joe Harris, like Landry Shamet, like Blake Griffin, like Jeff Green. You know, that you're better off trying to slow those guys down because you're just not going to be able to slow down Durant. So I think for the Bucks, it's just keeping things simple offensively. Don't fall into too many jump shots. You know, don't fall in love with the threes. You know, obviously they're a team that's going to shoot the three, but I think you want to operate from the inside out. You want to drive to the basket, open up the lane so you can get the open threes. Um, so obviously a couple of, you know, 
big big injuries that that come in um and it's you know it's it's unfortunate you know i think that lebron's comments the other day i think that i think that he has a point you know in terms of the schedule being a little bit of an issue or the quick turnaround being a little bit of an issue um you know me personally i didn't think that the league should have played 72 games i thought 72 was a little bit much you know i thought that something like 56 or 60-something would have been a better number, so guys aren't forced to play a lot more. Um, But I think, you know, at a certain point, the NBA didn't really have too much of a choice. You know, maybe they started the season too early. Maybe they jam-packed the schedule. I think that that's fair. But I also think injuries happen. You know, I don't know if some of these injuries really are due to the fact that guys are playing a lot more. Because I'll be perfectly honest, guys like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard... Kyrie Irving, they don't play all the games anyway. You know, they sit out a lot of games, you know. I And I know that, you know, LeBron was hurt at, at a certain point this season. But it's like, you know, you guys also sit out a lot of games due to load, load management. So, you know, I, I get what he's saying. But at the same time, it's a little bit rich coming from someone like him who, you know, takes a lot of games off. Um you know, you have a lot of guys in this league that takes take a lot of games off for whatever reason. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's all their fault, but at the same time, you know, and I don't know how, how real this is, but I feel like, you know, we have a players association that, you know, I think agreed to this schedule that I think you kind of, it, there, there's a little bit of an element of you kind of knew what you signed up for. Um, and... And I'm not going to say that LeBron's totally wrong when he makes a statement like that, because definitely there's some truth to it. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's something that I think just is something that happens, and it's not really something that you can control. But, you know, I could kind of live without the I told you so type of thing. You know, I think that that's a little bit like, okay, LeBron, like that's that's great. But, you know, I don't know. It, it just It just seems strange to me. Um, so in terms of NBA games, you got Brooklyn and Milwaukee game six tonight from Milwaukee, uh, then, uh, Nets can clinch the series. And then tomorrow night you have, I think a pair of game sixes. You'll have the, uh, Hawks and Sixers Hawks can advance. And then you have the Clippers and the Jazz and the Clippers can advance. Both of those games will be tomorrow night. So, before we move on, we'll get into the NBA awards a little bit, take a look at some um, award winners already. Obviously, Jokic winning the MVP, which I think was, which I think, I think was fair. You know, I think that, you know, out of him, Curry and Embiid, yeah, he probably deserves it. Me personally, I thought Steph Curry should have got it, you know, just because, Golden State would have been nowhere near the playoffs if he wasn't playing and playing at the level that he played at. So, you know, I thought that he deserved it. You know, not to say Jokic didn't. You know, I think that Jokic probably had the better season when you really look at it, you know, for a center. Uh, first MVP since Shaq, I think. So, um, you know, I think that it's, yeah, I would have picked Curry, but I don't think it necessarily really matters. Um, yesterday, not Lonzo Ball, uh, LaMelo Ball wins Rookie of the Year over Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards, kind of a little bit of a close voting. 
Um, you know, Ball obviously missing the last 20 or so games of the season, which definitely, I think, made the voting a little closer. I think that he was Rookie of the Year. You know, I think that just always just so exciting to watch made that uh, Hornets team really fun to watch. I also think that, you know, Anthony Edwards made a really strong push for that at the end of the season. He played really, really well toward the end of the season, last couple of months, uh, really starting to make a name for himself um, as the number one pick. So I thought he had a strong season too. And Tyrese Halliburton, I didn't think he was going to have a great season, but he played really well for the Kings. So kudos to all three of them for having good, strong rookie seasons. Uh, Rudy Gobert winning the defensive or defensive player of the year. Uh, the third time he has won it, he's the fourth player to win the award three times. So, um, obviously, last week we talked about the Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award, um, the finalist for that. Um, and then the All-NBA. You know, this definitely had some uh, a lot of people up in arms about with Jason Tatum um, not making the either any of the All-NBA teams, which I think is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Um, and then the last, one of the individual awards before we get to All-NBA, I meant to say this, uh, Jordan Clarkson winning sixth man, uh, Tom Thibodeau winning coach of the year. You know, not really going to, Not there's not really a lot of debate about that. Julius Randle winning most improved, not a lot of debate there. Um, but there certainly was a lot of debate about the All-NBA teams. Um, I think looking at the first team, not really a lot of issues there. You know, Steph Curry, uh, Doncic, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Jokic, and Giannis. Really no, really no issues there for me. You know, I think those probably the five best players in the league. I may have put Embiid in there, you know, over Giannis or over Kawhi Leonard, but, you know, I think that it's... Not really a huge deal. And then in the second team, um, Embiid, LeBron James, uh, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, and Julius Randle. No issues there for me. You know, I think that I think that's pretty legit. You know, I think for Julius Randle being most improved, I think is a guy that Second or, second or third team All-NBA, you know, I don't think it really mattered. Um, you know, Chris Paul, I think, had a really strong year for Phoenix. You know, Lillard, obviously, is really good. You got Embiid, who was a finalist for MVP, and then you got LeBron. Um, so really no issues there. My issues kind of came on the third team. So you had Kyrie Irving, Rudy Gobert, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Bradley Beal. No issues with Bradley Beal, absolutely none. Um you know, Gobert, I go back and forth on because, yes, he's a very good, outstanding defensive player. Uh, Paul George, don't really have any issues with. I had a bit of a problem with Jimmy Butler being in and Kyrie being in. Um, you know, obviously the issue for Tatum was that he was listed as a forward and a guard. You know, which is just... So so what the issue was, he was listed as a forward and a guard. He got more votes as a forward, and so that's why the NBA put him in the forward category um, and, you know, was seventh out of forwards. And so obviously two forwards on each team, you know, missed it by a cut. So, you know, I think, for example, 
Uh, Tatum actually got more total votes than Kyrie Irving, but because, you know, Tatum was ultimately denominated as a forward and not a guard, I don't think I used that word correctly, um, that's ultimately what cost him a spot on the All-NBA. And I don't know, to me that that's just stupid because I think the All-NBA should be the 15 best players in the NBA regardless of position. You know, um, I don't really think it matters that much. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's a little frustrating because it cost Jason about $30 million. Um, you know, and I think that it's a little frustrating, but I think, honestly, this might turn out to be more of a positive for Jason, that he might feel pretty snubbed that I should have gotten on All-NBA and... You know, I'm going to have to show the NBA that I can be an all-NBA player, and you might see him take another step next year. Um, but I just I just have to say that the I just don't understand how the NBA could screw that up so bad that ultimately it should be whoever the most votes, not most votes at one position. You know, it's just 15 best players. It shouldn't be that complicated. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, and it's not to say that Jason didn't have a good season, but it's also just like, you know, he kind of should have more recognition. You know, you look at the total votes, 69 vote, 69 points that Tatum got, 61 that I, Kyrie Irving got. So, you know, yeah, someone who has more votes. Um, and ironically, Jason Tatum had two first team votes. Four of the five players in the all on the All NBA third team had zero first place votes, you know. So I don't know. I just I don't have a lot of confidence in whoever you know chooses these teams. That it's just you you pick the best players. Shouldn't be that hard. Um, so I think that with that being said, I think we should move on before I you know really start to repeat myself. Um, so talk about the NHL. Uh, things have been pretty interesting in the conference semifinals. Um, you know, I think a lot of conversation about the Bruins um, and their continued, you know, offseason and the upcoming free agency of a lot of guys. Um, you know, I think that David Krejci is a guy that's going to take a little bit of time before, the, before they, you know, come back to talk contract terms. Um, you know, I think that, Rask probably takes a little bit of time. Um, so, you know, and we talked about this last week that, you know, with Rask potentially being out almost half the season, the Bruins probably do need to bring in, you know, a veteran goalie. Um, and I think that one of the things that might be unpopular is I think the Bruins probably should send, you know, Swayman back to the AHL, you know, and I think that it's not it's not a demotion to be like, oh, you know, he didn't play well because he played unbelievable in this 10 games here. He was my vote for, for seventh player award. Um, but I think that the biggest thing for him is to just get him ice time. Um, and I think that it might be best for him to play in the AHL. That way he can play, you know, every game, you know, or play most of the games and doesn't have to, you know, split duties at the NHL level. So... You know, I also just think he played 10 games last year. You're not ready to have him split, you know, half a season with Dan Vladar. I just don't think that that's per pertinent. 
So I think what's going to happen is the Bruins will bring in a veteran backup goalie. Um, not Halak, but, you know, sign someone like a James Reimer or um, I have to go look at some of the other goalies. I think Devin Dubnik was another name, you know, and a goalie that the Bruins could use for, you know, half a season until Rask is back and healthy. And then you, you know, flip that goalie at the deadline. Um, I think that that's probably what's going to happen. Um, and then in terms of, you know, talking about the article I wrote yesterday, wrote uh, five free agents that the Bruins should sign, you know, talked about the the, the obvious guys, you know, Rask, Krejci, uh, Taylor Hall, Mike Riley, in my opinion, um, and Brandon Carlo, too. So, you know, I think for the Bruins in, in their defense, in my opinion, you know, and I said this last week, I still think that you can be okay with Grizzlick and McAvoy being your top pair. Um, I think you just need to have more depth that is legitimate that you can count on. You know, props to Kevin Miller for trying this season. You know, props to him for playing the amount of games that he did, but ultimately you just can't rely on him to be a regular contributor. You know, you can't rely on him to be that, you know, guy who plays on your third pair. I think that he, if he is going to be anything, he's going to be a depth guy. You know, he's going to be a guy that you can plug in to play every so often, but with the injury history, you just never know. So I think the Bruins need more in the bank than him, and they need more in the bank, you know, behind Carlo and behind Riley. Like, they need, you know, a couple of big-body defensemen that, you know, can give them a good, solid 200-foot game. Um, you know, something that, that Neely talked about. And, you know, he even said in the in his press conference that the Bruins have been searching for that, you know, left-handed number 4D. Um, they're not number four exactly, but like a top four guy. So I'm not really sure who that is. You know, I think looking at a guy like, for example, Alec Martinez, I think he might fit that role, although he's 33. So I think, you know, if the Bruins are looking to sign him, you're not signing him for more than two years. Um, because I think that's really what the Bruins have at this point in time, that that's your window. You know, that's your window with this core is two years, and I think that that's it. So I think that at this point, the Bruins really can't rebuild. I don't really think they're in a spot that they can do that. And so I think really the only thing for them to do is just say F it and just really go all in, you know? And I think that it's, that might be a little scary to some people, but I think that you look at this core, you have to go get it, you know? And I think Neil even said that, that, you know, they owe it to guys like Bergeron and Marchand to go for it again. And so I think, you know, you could see them bringing in someone like that. You could see them bringing in, you know, I would say Ekman Larson, but I took one look at his contract yesterday and I realized that he makes almost eight and a half million per year, which is insane. So unless the Bruins can get the Coyotes to retain a good amount of salary, that's not happening. Um, although he kind of does fit the profile of being kind of a big body, 200 foot player um, that can, you know, eat minutes, as Neely said. Um, so I don't think that that affects whether they bring back Mike Riley. I think that you bring him back, but I think that he's a guy that you probably might want to play in the third pair. Um, and, you know, obviously then there's the discussion about the bottom six and, um, some guys who are up, you know, Blake Coleman is someone the Bruins obviously 
I think should look at trying to bring in Kevin Fiala as another name that they could possibly look at in a trade. Um, but I think that they really need to kind of re reevaluate their bottom six. And I think that you, you let Corrali go. I don't really think there's a reason to bring him back. Um, to be perfectly honest, I think that the Bruins are going to be choosing between bringing back, um, uh, Richie or DeBrusque. I don't think it's both. I think that the Bruins either give Nick Richie a new contract, um, you know, or they not, they don't re-sign him. Maybe they risk, you know, they probably risk, they probably are going to risk exposing him to Seattle, um, you know, I think that there's a possibility that the Bruins keep DeBrusque. You know, I think that they could be like, okay, we'll give you, you know, one more shot. and We'll really, you know, give you the opportunity. Or they're going to say that, you know, maybe they don't believe in him anymore. Maybe they try to deal him for a defenseman. Um, you know, I really think that you saw that that third line really kind of was one of the biggest reasons why you lost the Islanders series, that, you know, and we'll get to this, we'll get to the other series in a moment, but you look at a team like Montreal, they get, they're getting offensive production from every line. You know, they're getting goals from everywhere. The Bruins really just couldn't get anything from the third line. And I think that you really need to find a good, consistent group to play with Charlie Coyle. The Bruins really just had a revolving door in that third line. He couldn't really find consistent chemistry with anyone. So, you know, I think you know, Coyle stays, you try to figure out who's on your wings. Um, but I think that it's, there are just a lot of questions. Um, but I think for the Bruins, you know, in terms of, you know, going for it, I think they really have to. There's really no other, no other choice that they have at the moment. And, you know, I thought of this yesterday when uh, Jason Spezza re-signs with Toronto. The Bruins need to bring in some guys like that. Low-key, they kind of do, you know. I think that if you're really just going to go for it and just say whatever, you go for it, you might look at signing someone like Joe Thornton. I'm not even joking. Like, I think that if the Bruins really are going to go for it, you bring in some vet guys. You bring in some vet guys who have won. Look at what Montreal has done with Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, both guys who have won, both guys who've been around forever, and both guys that can still play, you know, some decent hockey. Say what you will about Corey Perry as a, as a, as a certain type of player, but, you know, he and Eric Stahl have been around forever. They're pretty solid players. You know, I, I don't see why the Bruins shouldn't look at something like that because clearly it's just, it's just not good enough with some of the guys that they currently had in their roster this year. So, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, for the Bruins. So um, there was some news that the Bruins did bring in uh, Jesper Froden from um, Sweden on a one-year deal. So he had played in the uh, Swedish Hot Hockey League, uh, not for a team name that I can pronounce, uh, but he played 52 games with his team um, and had 22 goals and 18 assists. Uh, and his 22 goals tied for third, third among all players um, in the league. Um so he's 5'10", 176, you know, kind of a small guy. But, um, you know, just see uh, a guy who can maybe compete for a roster spot, perhaps. You know, Bruins not giving him much money, you know, not a little under 850000 So we'll see. We'll see if he has anything. But, you know, I think that 
he's a guy that maybe he surprises in camp and maybe he could, you know, help on that third line. Because I think that you're going to probably see, you know, unless the Bruins really go out and address the third line right wing, you're probably going to see Stetnika play there. You're probably going to see Kuhlman there. You might see Froden play in there. Or, you know, if they try to acquire someone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's really that bottom six and, you know, the rest of the defense they really got to fill out. Um, I'm not really concerned about, you know, David Krejci. I think he should come back, you know, unless he decides to hang it up. Um, and, you know, Taylor Hall, you bring him back. You know, I think within reason, you bring him back under any circumstances. Uh, that's what I truly believe. I think you'd be crazy to let him go. You know, I think that you should sign him to a reasonably big contract. But, you know, he's also said that money's not really something that he's concerned about right now. So I think that should help you because that probably means that he's not going to ask for a whole lot of money. You know, he won't be making $8 million. I don't think he'll be making seven. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what his contract looks like. Uh, should the Bruins bring him back? Uh, just some other NHL things. Uh, the Gerard Gallant hired his new coach of the Rangers. Uh, Eric Bellier, to him, that's a great hire. Uh, I would agree. I think that he is um, an outstanding coach. You know, obviously did really well with Vegas, did really well with Florida at the end of his tenure. Um, I think that it's it's a great hire for the Rangers, and I look for them to be a really good team next year and possibly a playoff team, you know, if things, if things all work out. Um, so... I think, you know, that's probably enough Bruins stuff. Uh, we'll get to the other series right now. Uh, Montreal with a big Game 2 win last night, tying the series with Vegas one game apiece. You know, Montreal staked to a 2 nothing lead in the first period with a couple goals from Armia. There's some secondary scoring for you. Um, and then Tyler Toffoli getting a goal. Uh, Montreal is just a team that you cannot spot a lead in these playoffs, you know, I don't care if it's two, nothing and Vegas only loses three to two. Um, it's just, it's not, a, this is not a team that you want to be chasing the score against. Um, and it's bananas. Cause it seems like with this team, with Carey price, that's always how it goes when they're playing well, they get early goals. They, you know, sit on the lead and they let Carey price be Carey price. Um, and obviously there's some people that are, though, oh, how is Montreal good? You know, well, you know, I'll give you three reasons, three reasons. You know, one of them is you have a good, solid goaltender. You don't need to have a superstar goaltender like Carey Price. We've seen plenty of teams win Stanley Cups with guys who are, you know, just good enough. Um, you know, you also need some luck and health on the defense, on, on the back end uh, with the defenseman. But I think you also need some good, solid defensive defensive shape. And structure, you know, that you can be a good enough defensive team in front of your net. Um, and then the third one, you know, is timely scoring, but more importantly, timely secondary scoring. You know, Montreal has all three of those things. All three of those things have happened for them pretty consistently during during their during their run. So um, they're a tough team to beat. I really thought that Vegas was going to be too much of an issue for them, but. You know, stealing game in Vegas, you know, this makes this series a lot more interesting. Um, so Montreal wins 3-2. to two. Vegas, with a couple goals from Alex Petrangelo, couldn't get their way, couldn't find their way back. Um, but Vegas is a team that 
they're unlike any team Montreal has played this year, but they responded really well with Game 2. So uh, that series, Game 3, will be tomorrow night. Series will shift to Montreal. Um, And then Tampa Bay and the Islanders have split the first two games. Islanders with a big win in Game 1, I think, over the weekend. And then you had uh, Tampa Bay with the win in Game 2. And yeah, bad officiating is back. It's uh, it's really bad. You know, I know a lot of people want to say, oh, you know, it's missed calls happen. They do happen. But, I mean, how do you miss six guys on the ice during a goal? Like, I just, I can't believe that. That's something where it's just like, okay, if you're going to miss, you know, a slashing or a tripping or something like that, Obviously, it's not good, but it's like, come on, too many men is too many men. You can't screw that up. Tampa Bay scores a goal with six guys on the ice. Um, Tampa Bay gets a penalty called on Braden Point, driving to the net. Adam Pellick shoves him into the goalie, and somehow, you know, it's a penalty on Point, you know, because he can't stop himself from running into the goalie. So, you know, somehow in the referee's eyes, that's a penalty. Um, You know, I've said it already with the officiating that, it's going to be what it's going to be, and I don't really think anything's going to change. Um, unfortunately, you're probably going to see calls that decide a game at the end of one of these series. You very well see might see a call that changes the course of the Stanley Cup Final, which it kind of did two years ago, but not going to get into that. Um, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Um, but um, I will just, I, there is one little thing I did want to say about Tampa Bay. It has been an exciting series. Uh, Tampa Bay has tied the series with Game 2. I think that... I think that um, either team could win the series. Um, But a lot's going to change. You know, the series shifting to New York, series shifting to Montreal. I'll be curious to see, you know, what that changes for either one of the teams. You know, huge for the road teams to be able to steal... uh, uh, The Islanders stealing Game 1, Montreal stealing Game 2 against Vegas... Um, you know, it's going to make for some really exciting hockey. So uh, a point that I did want to make on the Tampa Bay Lightning, and um, it's been something that everyone's been tweeting about. Everyone's been, you know, voicing their pleasure. Everyone's been making jokes and this and that um, about the cap circumvention that, you know, uh, and I think feel like I've said this a couple of weeks ago um, that, you know, Nikita Kucherov, you know, it was announced that he would miss the entire regular season with, uh, I think it was hip surgery. Um, and then, you know, when the playoffs start, they bring him back. And, you know, I think the, the rule is that there's no salary cap in the postseason or something like that. And so, theoretically, a team can go through a season, you know, being under the salary cap, bring in some players, and then once the playoffs start, they can bring someone in, which... Yes, it is unfair. You know, it is totally kind of a loophole that the Lightning took advantage of in the, you know, NHL rules. I think it needs to change. I think it does. You know, I think that it's definitely a little bit of an unfair advantage when you look at a team like Tampa Bay, who is already stacked, and then already brings in a guy like Kucherov, who is, at his best, is probably a top three player in the NHL. And I'm not even kidding. Like, he is ridiculous when he plays and I'll be honest I don't really like the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, just based on their battles with the Bruins over the last few years but um, he is one of the best players in the league and is so much fun to watch 
Um, and so a lot of people, you know, are voicing their displeasure on Twitter, and rightfully so. You know, I think that it's it's legit. I think that it's fair to, you know, talk about it and say, oh, you know, $18 million over the cap, this and that. Um, but I will say it's getting old, and it's getting annoying, you know, to the point of, you know, they're a good team. They're not a good, they're not not a good team because, you know, Kucherov may or may not be on the roster. You know, it's, I mean, as I've said, it's, it's, it's in the rules. You know, it's within the rules. They're not cheating. You can say that the rules are unfair, that the rules are, you know, written in a way that a team can, you know, expose a loophole, but it's like, if it's in the rules, it's in the rules. Um, And it's starting to annoy me because anytime they score in a playoff game, it's, you know, 18 million over the cap, this and that. And it's just like, I get it, but at a certain point, you need to stop complaining and just get over it. Um, And I will also say that these people complaining on Twitter that are Bruins fans, you know that if the Bruins did this, that if the Bruins lost David Pasternak to, like, an off-season surgery, he missed the entire season, comes back in the playoffs, and the Bruins would be over the cap, uh, you would be making fun of people saying that it's unfair. So I'm just going to say that, that I know that it's the Lightning, and I know that we don't like the Lightning, but if this was the Bruins, you wouldn't be saying anything. And I know for a fact people wouldn't be. I know for a fact people would be saying exactly what I'm saying right now, that, oh, it's within the rules, you can... You know, it's it's a loophole. You'd be saying that exact same thing, you know, if the Bruins pulled something like that. So, um, you know, I get it, but don't get too high on your horse because you know that you would be a hypocrite if the Bruins did the same thing, you know. And look, I try to be as objective as I possibly can, um, but I'll be honest, like, it's starting to annoy me. And it's just like, I know that we can arbitrarily decide which teams it's fair for and which teams it's not. I know that we as sports fans do that all the time, but, you know, yikes, it's starting to get really annoying, you know, that it's like we can't even enjoy watching hockey now because you always have to have some smart ass, you know, in the comments, oh, 18 million over the cap. It's just annoying, you know, and I don't mean to go on a rant about how annoying it is, but... I'll be honest, it's uh, it's not it's not super fun to watch playoff games and go on Twitter and see people making the same jokes and saying the same things over and over. Um, so, uh, Game 3 of the Lightning Islanders tonight at 8. Uh, game 3 of Vegas, Montreal is tomorrow night at 8. Um, so you got a couple of Game 3s, so you're at least getting Game 5s in the, in the semifinals, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on that. Before we go, we'll update you guys on the WNBA. Got a slew of games tonight on the schedule. You have Seattle at 11-2 on top of the standings. They play Indiana tonight at 7 o'clock. Atlanta faces off against Washington at 7. Um, Connecticut and Chicago, 8 o'clock. Minnesota and Dallas, 8 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. And then New York against Las Vegas at 10 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. That uh, should be an interesting game. Um Taking a quick look at the standings, um, so I think this is the overall stand. I think the last couple times I've looked at the overall standings, and I meant to look at the conference standings, um, but now we've got the conference standings. You have Connecticut 
eight and three, still in first place in the East. Um, and then the New York Liberty, just two games back. Um, oh, and I, I feel really stupid because there was something I was going to mention on the podcast that uh, there were a couple players. Uh, as a player for the Connecticut Sun, I think was chirping a player of a different team. Um, and it was awesome. Like, I think that the WNBA, you need, you need stuff like that. And I love stuff like that where people are just trash talking, especially on social media. I find that so funny and so just, you know, good, like good for the game. You know, it's, it's just, it makes for such great content, you know, and I know a lot of times social media is, you know, really stupid and people take things seriously when they shouldn't. But like, oh my God, it's just like, you wish that there was Twitter in the NBA 90s because you knew guys would be saying some crazy stuff back and forth. You know, just the beef would be unbelievable. Um, I can't remember what the two players were, but it was someone on the Sun um, and then someone on a different team. But I love it. I just, I love that. You know, love that type of energy. So uh, the Sun with a two-game lead over the Liberty for first place in the East, and then you have Seattle first place in the West, first place in the WNBA, a game and a half ahead of Las Vegas. So Las Vegas and New York uh, tonight, definitely tune into that if you can. Um, And before we go, we'll update you guys on the UEFA European Championship. Uh, Group C, Group C and Group B playing, or Group C, okay, that was, that was crazy. Group C playing today. There is a match from Group B also playing. Um, so just the games from today. Ukraine with a 2-1 win over North Macedonia in the 9 o'clock game. Game going on right now. Denmark has a 1-0 lead against Belgium. Um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Christian Eriksen, um, who suffered a cardiac arrest during uh, Denver's Denmark's first game against Finland. And um, I'll be honest, it was probably one of the scariest things that I've ever witnessed as a sports fan. Um, and I'm so glad that he, he is okay. So glad that he is stable and he, you know, seemed to have recovered, seemed to have recovered. But um, I just want to say, you know, props to the players on the field, you know, for getting the medical staff over there so quickly and, you know, the doctors and the people that were able to, to save him. Um, it just was really one of those moments that you forget you're watching sports. Um, and it happens every so often where a player, you know, collapses, you know, or, you know, has a really serious, you know, injury. Um, you know, you think about Gordon Hayward, or you think about um, Kevin Ware, the uh, Louisville basketball player from a number of years ago. Um, and I think it just, yeah, it, it lends you to, you know, look, look at sports in a different perspective and, you know, look at these players that, you know, play a sport for, 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 for our entertainment. Obviously, they play a sport because it's important to them. And I think soccer especially, I think it takes on such a big, you know, playing playing for your country. You know, and I really think that maybe here in the United States, you know, soccer maybe is not as big as a sport as other ones. And so playing for your country might not be as much of a, a bigger deal, I guess, but, um, I just want to say that it was, um, you know, it was really scary, you know, and I think that a lot of times we, 
you know, I don't want to delve into, you know, sports is, you know, just kind of a the thing. And I think that, you know, when something like that happens, you know, you immediately forget about it and you immediately go to, you know, how is the person doing? And, you know, it's just, it just was one of those moments and, you know, crazy. So, so glad that, that he seems to be doing better. Um, Denmark leading Belgium at the moment in the first half. Um, Netherlands and Austria will play this afternoon from Group C. Um, so Group A has played two games. Italy is in front in that group with two three to nothing wins. Uh, Wales is in second place with four points. They got a win yesterday. Um, and then Group B with uh, Belgium and Denmark, they will play their second match day. Uh, Russia and Finland had played yesterday. And then Netherlands and Austria play also today. And then you have the two second match day from groups D, E, and F. So um, definitely if you're into soccer, you keep watching the games. The games are great to watch, especially first thing in the morning. And then you have games in the afternoon. So I've definitely been um, enjoying that. So that probably brings us to the end of, of this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you can let me know. You could leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. You know, you can text me, you can DM me, let me know how you guys are enjoying it. You can listen on, on Apple Podcasts, you can listen on Spotify, um, and make sure to follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Um, so that'll do it for me. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next time.